0: Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. How are you? Doing well, Derek. We've made it to the end of the week. It's Melbag Friday. Kentucky will play Florida tomorrow in Gainesville. But before we get into the Melbag side of things, uh, there was some pretty significant news come out of the U.K. football side today it's been a trend that UK's been on with good news for the last couple of weeks and I mean this is good news for Jamin Davis but it's obviously uh, disappointing news for the Kentucky defense that Jamin Davis is declaring for the NFL draft and he will not be returning to Kentucky next year which which Derek is it's a pretty significant blow to that side of the ball.
1: Yeah it is Um, and I'll say I think it came as a surprise honestly to Kentucky's coaching staff. I had heard pretty much leading up this whole week that they had expected him back. So I know at one point UK was, was looking at some grad transfer or maybe not even grad transfer, just I'm not used to adjusting that now with just regular transfers in the portal at that end solid linebacker position, in particular, the mic. And I, I had heard that that had kind of slowed down and just piecing two and two together. I thought that uh, Jamin was set to return, but, He made this call that uh, he's ready to go to the league. Um, I I think he's probably a draft pick. I mean, I certainly think he's a draft pick or else he wouldn't be comfortable going. Um, But I I think he would have been a huge boost. But uh, to to give Jamin credit, I think I might have said this already or I wrote it in a story for sure. I mean, this was a guy who wasn't even supposed to be a starter this year prior to uh, Chris Oates' situation. So props to him for really having a huge year capitalizing on it. and Now he should go get paid. So congrats to Jamin. always thought uh, he represented himself very well and represented the school well. I'm sure he'll continue to do that at the next level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck to Jamin. I mean, wow. Talk about a story there, you know, from where he started at Kentucky to now being able to leave early, Derek, it's, it's pretty fascinating story and, you know, best of luck to him. And I'm sure he'll have success wherever he goes, but let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag. Derek, once again, it's, it's another full mailbag. That's uh, it's becoming uh, a weekly thing now. So let's start, let's start with the longest question, and I just sent you this via text. It comes from Trey. Uh, put these developing stories in order from most intriguing to least intriguing. Uh, Cal's continued growth, monitoring whether he doesn't revert to his stubbornness. Dante's ceiling and roll. Keon's impact, now he fits in the rotation and Clark's return and rotational fit. Derek, there there are some interesting storylines right now around this Kentucky basketball team. It seems like it's all happening at once now that Dante's emerged. And then we mentioned earlier this week about the, how I thought that Cal has kind of gone away from his stubbornness a bit by playing Dante so many minutes the last couple of games. So I'll let you start with that, and maybe we can collectively put them you know, most intriguing to least intriguing. So out of those, what do you think is the top one?
1: Well, I think this is a great question, and had I seen it earlier, I might have actually written a story on this. I really like all of these, so uh, good question, Trey. Most intriguing, um, I will say, I assume he means for the long term, so I'll try to answer it long term. I would say. How about this, Sean? I almost feel like Cal's continued growth, monitoring whether he doesn't revert to his stubbornness, seems a little broad, but could I make the argument that in some ways all of these other things, besides well, besides Keon's impact, but I think you could make an argument that Dante's ceiling and role and also Clark's return and rotational fit could kind of fit into that. It, it does. But for the sake of the question, I'll say, number one, Dante's ceiling and role, and i only say that's number one for me because I think long-term Dante is a very, very important piece to this program. So I think his development this year will be pretty important next year and the following year. Number two, I would say I would say Keon's impact and how he fits the rotation, then three, I'd say Cal's growth, and then four, Clark's return and rotational fit. But they're all really good storylines. I don't think I just don't think there's an obvious uh an obvious order there. So it's a good question. I think yours probably might be a little bit different than mine.
0: Yeah, while while you were saying that, I I kept going back and forth on whether or not I was going to put Cal's growth at number one, but hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna put Cal's continued growth and monitoring whether he doesn't revert to his stubbornness at number one because I kind of feel like how you said it that these others kind of play into that, Derek, of whether or not that he does revert. I mean, this is a guy now that's playing everybody on this roster. Is that something that's going to continue over the next few weeks or does this change? So, then I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Clark's return in rotational fit second. Just because the backcourt's been getting better right now, what does he do with Terrence? Does he put him does he try to force him to be the point again? Or does he put him at that two three spot now that Askew and Mintz are playing better, which I think is a very interesting scenario. And then I'll go with I'm going to go with Keon's impact and then how he fits into the rotation third and then Dante's ceiling and roll last. Because uh, I actually think we already kinda know Dante's role with, you know, what he's gonna do on this team. He's obviously gonna be called on to hit shots. Uh and Keon's impact I think is just very intriguing just because it's nine games in. We have no idea, you know, what kind of growth Keon's gonna have from last year to this year. Obviously missing the first nine games of the year is definitely gonna have some rust there. But Derek, this is a guy who's been going through workouts for weeks now. He just hasn't been having any body contact. So I, I would go Cal's Growth, Clark's Return, Keon's impact, and then Dante Cillian Roll. What do you think about that?
1: I like that. Yeah. We had different ones, so for the sake of that, uh, I'd be curious to hear what Trey's order was if he wants to. It's
0: a very good question. Though. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate that, Trey. Uh, and then moving on to Ryan Ray, and we we should say just in case somebody listening hasn't got the news yet, which I'd, I'd be very surprised that you know Keon Brooks is back. He has been medically cleared and will play at Florida tomorrow night. And this leads right into that. Do you think the addition of Keon in the lineup will help alleviate any of the areas the team has struggled with? And assuming he is a leader and someone the younger guys look to, do you think his presence alone will take any pressure off of the guys who have struggled so far?
1: I think I'm having deja vu, or else we had a question very similar to this at some other point. But uh, I would, uh, yeah, I think I think he can only help. Really, I mean he's going to be eased back into it for sure tomorrow. I don't see him playing. I don't know. I mean, I guess it'll depend on how he's playing, but I think you, they're going to be conservative tomorrow. I don't think they're going to push him back too much unless he's just absolutely bowing out. And then maybe that'll go out the window. But I, I do think, I mean, I, I think he can definitely take the pressure off someone like BJ Boston.
0: So. Yeah. and And I think the biggest thing with Keon is, and I talked to you about this on the phone last night. And I was talking to you about how I think he improves the spacing. Like I, we got to see, you know, Keon knock down some threes at Florida. We have no idea if that's something he's going to be able to consistently add to his game this year or not. We have, we have no idea what work was put in over the offseason. I'm assuming that that was a focal point of it. But just his ability and his skill set, playing him at that four spot, you can even play him at the three spot. My takeaway is I think it takes a lot more pressure off of SAR too, because I think it gives them another veteran on the floor, and then it gives them someone who can space the floor and even gives Sarr more space to operate, where Jackson doesn't do that when they play them together. So I think that that would be a guy that could alleviate some of the areas they've struggled with with spacing. And now you got Dante on the floor, Derek, who I think even creates more separation and space offensively. It actually changes this lineup when he's healthy, and able to play 20-plus minutes a game.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, going back to the last question, too, when you're talking about bringing Terrence back in, I mean, they're, they're going to look a little bit different from, I'll say, the games that they've won. I mean, the two SEC games now, kind of when you see Dante starting to come into his own, and now you're going to have two more guys, well, at least one tomorrow. Parks probably not going to play against Florida. But I'd say in the coming weeks, They'll finally have their full roster available. So, how does that influence minutes for some guys? I mean, that's that's what's going to be fascinating to see, and how Cal manages. I don't know, but like Cal's never wanted to play ten guys or whatever, and I think we're about to that number, right? In terms of guys who had like he's played a pretty deep, pretty deep roster this year. I mean, Dante there for a while was the only guy who wasn't playing, and Fletcher, of course, but he was gone for the game. So. He's got a lot of options, but I almost feel like the second-half challenge for Cal now is, is mixing with those rotations and finding the very best group to get on the floor to help them win games because they just, with the start that they had, I mean, you just can't afford to to lose many more. So every game is going to be so important, and, uh, and that way it might be a little bit stressful for Cal. But I think if you're in his shoes, you want as many players as possible who can help you.
0: Absolutely, and I, honestly, I I could see this thing playing out the way it has the last couple of games. And with Kentucky's role guys, I think it's going to be kind of interchangeable game by game, matchup by matchup. Like we saw, it was Lance Ware's time at Mississippi State. Then it was Jacob Toppin's time versus Vanderbilt. I think that's what you're going to see when it comes to rotation and guys stepping up. It's going to be a different guy every night, and uh, which which could be a good thing. By the time they get into February. In March, Derek, I think that this gives Cal some options, and I think that maybe, and this leads back into that stubbornness that we've talked about from Cal. He's seen all these guys. For the most part, I think that everyone has done something positive at some point this season that should give Cal confidence to play them in certain situations, and that's going to be the interesting thing to follow is does he continue down that trend? But we also know that this is a guy who NCAA tournament time, perfect example, was two years ago when they played Auburn, Derek, EJ Montgomery, and those guys, Nick Richards, uh, even Jamal Baker, they weren't playable in Cal's eyes. Played them all season, and then it got to game 36, game 37, and he decided to do something different, and that's just who Cal's been his entire career.
1: Yeah, he played Reed Travis on a bomb knee 43 minutes or whatever, and P.J. was both those guys that had some injuries that season. I guess we'll stay on this question with Jason McIntosh since it's on the same topic. Uh, Whose minutes does Keon Brooks take now?
0: Oh, boy. The easy answer would be someone at his position. But but I just don't don't know if that's how this is going to play out. Just because Keon's versatile. Like, Keon can slide and play some three, and he can play some four. So, which helps? Because you can, you don't have to just force it with, by taking some one person's minutes, I honestly think that the person who's going to lose minutes out of all this is, I think, it's going to be B.J. Boston. And here's how that scenario plays out. And that's that's right now. It might not happen at Florida, like you said earlier. They're not going to force Keon in there a ton of minutes. But over, let's say, two weeks from now, B.J. still struggling, still shooting the ball poorly, and Keon's kind of finding his groove, getting in, getting in basketball shape. And by basketball shape, I mean getting out there and getting the feel of the game back. You know, getting contact and being able to control his body and traffic, something he hasn't had to do since probably early summer that we know of. I think that Dante, you could see slide and play the two, Keon play the three, which then forces BJ out, takes some minutes there. Or... You know, Keon playing the four, Dante the three, and when Terrence Clark comes back, there's Terrence Clark and Askew and Mintz rotating those guard spots. I, I I just think that B.J. Boston's minutes are the minutes that are going to be taken right now. And honestly, given the way the roster has looked and performed, I don't know who else – why would you take them from anyone else right now?
1: Yeah, but don't you just think that it, it would just still – I mean, I guess just the way we've been conditioned under Cal – I think in terms of someone who would deserve to lose their minutes the most, it's been BJ for the way he's played. And like you said, if we're talking about scenario two weeks from now, it would be pushing, what, 15 games that he would have given BJ to try to figure it out, correct? I mean, the kid's taken, what, almost 50 more shots than the next closest player on the team this season. So I I would agree with you that I think he would be the guy who would would stand to lose the most. But that's probably why these next few games for – Uh, BJ are so important because I I think you're at a certain point like you've got to say enough is enough well and I mean even even if it's he's still kind of splitting time with someone just kind of the role like he is still in that role like do you still view him as the number one option in Cal's offense
0: absolutely not no not right now
1: that's already started to fade away then because obviously for a time he was I mean look at the shot numbers like he's the one who's been taking the most shots, he's by far missed the most shots.
0: The the last two games changed everything for me. I said going into the Mississippi State game that B.J. Boston had to go be a star for this team to win games. He doesn't. Uh, uh, It would help, Derek, if, if he goes and becomes everything that we all kind of thought he was going to be, and I think everything that he and his camp thought he would be too, then he is your number one guy. But right now they found a way to win two games without him playing well. And I think that that is enough to kind of change your mindset. I, I did this whole thing about changing the thought process, changing the mind. Now this roster and this staff know that they can win without B.J. It's, it's harder because obviously that's who they brought in to fill that role and kind of lead offensively, but he's not been there. So now you're kind of forced to play other guys. And Cal's been in a position like this in the past a couple of times. If you remember – 2013 was a bad year. Jared Poulsen was forced into a ton of minutes. Julius Mays, they had to rely on him. This roster, I think, has better pieces that can kind of carry this thing. You see other guys like Askew emerging, Mints hits big shots, Sars coming on. I just don't know a scenario, though, where where B.J. Boston can play the same amount of minutes he has leading up to these these next couple of games. I just think that you're to a point where Cal has to make a decision and this goes back into what we've been talking about, Derek, the commitment to the guys that are going to be in this program long-term. That's going to be the interesting thing to watch. Does Cal cater to B.J. Boston and can and maybe try to force getting him going? Or does he cater to the guys that are going to be kind of the foundation of this program for the foreseeable future for the next couple of years? And that gives them the best chance to win right now. And I, you're at a point, too, you can't force this and lose basketball games because you need to win games if you really want this season to still have some kind of weight to it and reach the postseason and and make, make a run. I think as a coach, you're responsible for each individual player, but you're also responsible for doing the right thing for the team. And right now, the right thing for this team is to take some pressure off B.J. Boston and stop forcing it and just let some of these other guys play. And when B.J. starts performing, give him some more minutes. I
1: think you're spot on with that. I mean, I do think starting so poorly is—I don't want to say giving an out to Cal, but maybe if your record was six and one or—or or sorry, eight and one—maybe if you're still winning games, you can be a little bit more patient with someone like BJ. But whenever you're losing and some other guys are starting to outplay him, just some hard hard decisions I think having to be made by Cal coming soon.
0: Yeah, and then staying on topic again, we knew Keon Brooks would be a huge topic on this episode. Uh, this comes from Ryan. Impact of Keon Brooks returning and how that changes season's outlook. Definitely makes them better.
1: I think it makes them better. I want to see kind of where I hope this is not okay. Like, I'm really disappointed for Keon that it's been 10 months since he had to play at Florida. Because now I almost think he'll spend most of this time this season, at least this first month, at least I would say, just trying to reacclimate himself, get get used to playing again, get used to playing competition. I, I would say the biggest hope would be that he can come back in, contribute, start to play well, and then whatever he does at the end of this year can springboard him to a huge junior season. Because yeah. I think as of now, like he's not on draft boards at this point.
0: No. Um, and technically, He really
1: wasn't. Honestly, I don't think he really was coming into the year either. And then you add in that he's not played half the year. Like I don't think he's suddenly going to hop on the boards, and I think he's someone who will come back. So I look for whatever he does this year to really springboard him next year. Does he help this team? I think he will. But at this point, I think maybe his impact next year could be, could be bigger, if that makes sense.
0: And here's the other factor of this too. You know, Cal's comment yesterday in the press release was talking about Keon's willingness to do whatever it takes to help this team be successful, whatever that role is, Derek. I I think given the situation and working someone in, out of all the guys on the roster, I mean, you don't want to say, you don't want anyone to have to come back from injury and work their way in, but if you had to pick one, who better than Keon? Because Keon is this guy who anything it takes to help this team, Keon Brooks is going to do it, and you know he's going to be in the right frame of mind the entire time doing it. Exactly. Which has to alleviate some pressure off of Cal's mind too.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal to get him back because I, I had started to just think that he wasn't going to be back this year.
0: But I, I was that way earlier this week, too. You know, you and I talked. And I, I, just, I was beginning to wonder, getting this late in the year, would we see him at all? Or would he just choose to sit out, which now we should add, too. That, you know, he'll be a sophomore again next year. Under that right. blanket waiver. So this is, uh, and then another thing too. I, I think what you have out of these guys who are on this roster right now, we've already talked about Jacob Toppin and his impact long term and how he came into this this move to Kentucky wasn't to be a one and done or one year at Kentucky and gone. It would be a long term thing with him. We he even he didn't think he was even going to play Derek until a couple of weeks before the season started, and now he's got he's carved out a role on this team. So, and then you got a guy like Devin Askew. You know, Kyle Tucker wrote the story today for The Athletic, and it was was very well written, and it portrayed exactly why Devin is as confident as he is. And it starts with his family, Derek, with his dad, Brian. That's a guy that I've talked to a ton. And I think when you go to a situation like Kentucky as a student athlete, these kids that come in with a level head who have had parents that have prepared them for struggles, and haven't kind of catered to them every time something gets hard. Those are the kids that Kentucky works out for. PJ Washington's dad was another one. And I was glad to see Kyle put that story out there because Brian, every time I've talked to him, it's been the exact same thing. You know, Devin's going to struggle, but Devin's not going to run from it. I think that's what's kind of changed the way I look at this program. Keon's dad's another one who has been nothing but uplifting and positive. Remember last year when his AAU coach came out? after the Arkansas game and was talking about Cal getting tossed and all, or how he's playing Keon Brooks. And then Keon's dad comes out with that statement on Twitter, you know, in support of Cal and how he loved that Cal was fighting for his guys. Kentucky has good basketball players now, but they also have a very solid group of parents right now who I don't think are in these guys' ear, Derek, about leaving Kentucky earlier or forcing them out of the program. I think that that's what has changed my mindset about kind of the foundation that they've built here with this roster, not just this year, but maybe two, three, one, two, three years from now.
1: Yeah, I do think you could look back potentially. I'll say this. If if it's going to happen in the Cal era where it's not exclusively like a one- or two-year type program, I think you can look at kids like Devin, kids like Keon. I mean, Keon's going to be going in his third year almost certainly. I guess if Devin's good enough next year, he could still leave. But basically what I'm trying to say is like, some of the draft boards had Devin as a first-rounder this year. I know, I think it was SB Nation had him at 24. And I don't think he's going to go that high. I think he'll probably come back and keep developing. And, like, you could point to those guys as ones who helped make it, make a change, I guess, in the program. And how, as you top in the same way. So if there if there is a group, it's almost like you have to go through. Because let's face it, man, if, if they were going to continue having kids like John Wall, Anthony Davis, just name whoever you want, who was just a stud in college, like, no chance those guys are going to stay. So how do you ever get to a point where the program's not like that anymore? Well, maybe you end up with a team that's not as good as what we're used to seeing. But they battle through this year, and then you get a team next year, six or seven guys returning, all who had a good experience this year. Well, then you're suddenly talking about Final Four expectations again as soon as next season. Yeah. So I think people if, – if, if, if they get a bunch of these kids back and those kids keep developing, people will be – I think back on Cal's train next year, unless the ones who are just done, no matter what. I, I think most people who are maybe having doubts right now, because that's the program everybody's calling for, right? It the is. guys are going to be around,
0: and, and that's the thing. You know, you've heard Kentucky fans say, "I just want to get you know some familiarity. I want to know the guys a little longer." Well, maybe this is the payout. You know, maybe you had to struggle a little bit and lose some games you didn't want to lose as a fan, but this team has also Derek shown some fight the last couple of games that you know, they're not giving up on the season. Like, they still think, and now you got Keon back in the fold. Uh, You're trying to work Terrence Clark. They're trying their best to get B.J. Boston going. I thought Dante Allen today, we haven't even talked about this, I thought that he handled some very difficult questions today very, very well for a guy who hasn't really spoken to the media a ton since he's been at Kentucky Derek.
1: Yeah, I uh, will admit right now that I... I only listened to Jay Lucas today. That's what uh, I was writing. So I actually hopped off whenever. Uh, well,
0: I, can I did you, the clip,
1: though, the question that uh, about fans booing BJ. And I saw his response to that, and I did think it was very mature. Well, and uh, certainly earned some good points uh, in the PR book for sure.
0: Did you see what he said about uh, Cal being hard on – or when he was asked about if Cal's harder on in-state kids?
1: No, I I, had, I didn't hear
0: that. So he was asked about that. And he said that cows hard on everyone, and if you're not coachable, then you take it hard. Oh, I thought spicy. that was a very good quote, I thought, for someone who didn't have any, like, he didn't talk to us last year, Derek, because he was hurt. And then right. we didn't get to hear from him hardly at all going into this season, and now he's kind of, you know, thrown into this moment to where – He's been looked at as the savior of this program and this season. I mean, clearly that's exactly what they're going, for, what the fans are, you know, riding that wave right now. Uh, but back to the mailbag, and we st- we have some football stuff to get to as well. But let's stay on the basketball topic. I'm making sure I don't have any that's I'm trying to see here if there's anything stands out that I've missed.
1: Uh, Oscar Schwieler. Yeah, basketball.
0: that's what I was gonna get at next. So this comes from Brandon. If UK gets Oscar, is it most likely Isaiah Jackson is gone after this year? <sighs> Go ahead. I man, it, it. I mean, it creates a logjam there for sure. When it when you come to, you're thinking of a roster right now. We let's just assume that Lance wears back. Jacob Toppin's back. Keon Brooks is back. You have Damian Collins coming in. Let's say Sheboy does come. Cameron Fletcher's still there at a forward spot too. Derek uh, Isaiah Jackson's a guy that the NBA views as potential. The NBA views all these guys as long-term potential. You saw that with the BJ Boston article yesterday, uh, written by ESPN, that even though he's struggling, they're kind of hoping that it's you know Kentucky's archaic offense and the the way the roster's put together more than it is BJ. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm, it would force someone out, not necessarily Jackson, but does it force somebody else out who thinks that, you know, maybe those minutes would have been theirs going into next year. But there's no guarantee that they're going to get Shibwe. But I don't know. It's a really tough question. Who would yeah, Honestly,
1: too, with the way, like with the time we're recording this and as soon as he's expected to make a decision, some people might be tuning into this whenever he's already technically decided. <laughs> that's true. So uh,
0: I think long I think you'd rather have Jackson just because he's been in the program for a year. i would like
1: see him as a sophomore.
0: I would too, especially with a guy like Damian Collins. But let's say that Jackson does blow up here in the second half, and he, he's a guy that will get drafted. I think if he puts his name in the draft, just off potential alone. And I've been saying it for weeks, Derek, that I think he's going to have the toughest toughest decision of all of them because I do think that there's a significant amount of room for growth at Kentucky. But it's one of those things where Do you kind of go where your name's hot, or do you come back and try to get better and risk it? Uh, But the big news about Shibway would be if he does come to Kentucky, he would enroll in the next week or so and be able to start practicing, and he would essentially be a guy that's been in the system for 10 months before he plays a game.
1: That is huge. I mean, I I agree. You can't really overlook that. I mean – that's that's kind of the thing where we're at, Sean. As much as – and all the criticism is is certainly legitimate. I mean, this year, I, I have no problem with people complaining, but, like, Kentucky still operates with, like, first-world college basketball problems. <laughs> so if the choice is between a false kid as a sophomore or a false kid as a sophomore but from a different school coming in, like, I don't know. They're still in just such a good spot, I feel like, either way. I mean, I guess there's a possibility that they don't get – Anyone, you know, like I mean, uh, I'm not saying anyone, like Isaiah might leave and then Oscar might not come, but someone else is going to be in the portal, right? I mean, we see it every year. I I still just not to the point where I really worry about personnel, but I, I do think even though offensively, unless Isaiah gets a lot better or Damian Collins is just way better than I think offensively, it might be tough to play those two guys, but I just imagine Cal having to fight every urge in his body not to play two rim protectors like that who can rebound. <laughs> yeah. If they can both uh, stay out of foul trouble.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would uh that would be a very intriguing front line uh defensively if you if you have both of those guys in there blocking yeah. shots. But even let's say they do lose Jackson, then you know you're getting another elite rim protector in Collins coming in. So it get alleviates some of that loss there. But uh, would be. I feel serious. like that kid, Sean. By the time we get to like next October, the hype
1: for him is just going to be crazy. Well, once uh, he gets on campus and is blocking everybody's shot, like yeah. that, he's all we're going to hear about going into next year. And he's, and he's the true
0: guy. shot blocker. Like yeah. you know, Jackson has that to his game, but that wasn't kind of what he was billed as. He's not in the same lighting as uh, Collins. Collins has been the guy that that's been the talk about him was just the way he impacts games, you know, with his length and how long his arms are. I do think, Derek, that someone off this roster will surprise us and return next year. Someone that we're right now kind of have a question mark around them or maybe that we're thinking is going to go or trend or something along those lines. It could be someone deciding that one of the two seniors decide they want to use another year. I don't know. I just have a gut feeling that one out of the group of B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Isaiah Jackson, Olivier Saar, Davion Mance, I just feel like someone is going to shock everything and kind of come back. I don't know why I feel that way. I have no insight on it. It just feels like with, with this year and how weird it's been that all these guys are going to, going to have to kind of make a decision. They're going to be in a situation where they have to make a huge decision. With Sar, it's do you want to play a second year in the program and then try to be a professional and get to the NBA? I think It all depends on what their long-term goals are, which we also know that Davion Mintz and Olivier Saar are just two entirely different conversations than Jackson Boston and Clark but it just I just have a feeling that someone is going to come back
1: I could see it I mean even if you look at some of these mock drafts, and he might already have his mind made up no matter what but Terrence Clark is very close to falling out of the first round in a few of these mocks I think Jeff Goodman had him like 29th like barely a first rounder so at this point really not even looking at a lottery pick but you know I don't I don't think lottery picks really make a break. We've seen several kids now from Kentucky leave. I mean, shoot, man, even Maxie. Like, I think that was a surprise that he fell as far as he did. But Maxie quickly, two guys who weren't lottery picks, who were doing just fine. Kelden Johnson's doing just fine, wasn't a lottery pick. So, some ways, you might even make an argument, man, that it's better for some of those kids to end up in better organizations. That's but true. But looks like one more basketball one that I see, there might be more, but just – Jaden Hardy, discussion about him, of course, the five-star guard. From Keith, the question is, Jaden Hardy not – actually, there's a few questions here. Jaden Hardy not playing his high school year, I mean, riding on the wall for G League, the chances for Oscar Schwiebel, and then uh, also with Oscar, how would he fit in at UK?
0: I think that Hardy – I'll take the first part of that, Derek. I think Hardy uh, skipping out on his high school year, honestly, I would be shocked if he – is in college basketball next year and not in the G League.
1: Me too. Yeah, I think uh, I think I mean if he got a if he changed his mind and called up Cal today and said, "Hey, I want to come." Like I'm sure Cal he wouldn't would. turn him away. But yeah, the likelihood of that happening seems quite low. And then with Oscar, like go ahead and take that one too, just because uh, I can't I'm not enough about I'm
0: around. not plugged in I'm not as plugged in on the Oscar front. When it happened last Friday, I was on my way to Mississippi State. When you know, when it it was uh, kind of yeah. circulating out there that he was going to go into the portal, and I texted you and told you, watch or some some I can't remember how I word it. Was. Watch this one. I think that that's one that Cal needs to call right now. Mm-hmm. And I if, if I'm not saying that unless I think he's a good fit, and I do think he's a good fit for the program, Derek. I just think that anytime you can gain experience. It's a guy who fell in love with Kentucky the first time around. I mean, it was clear that if he hadn't gone to West Virginia, he was going to Kentucky. A ton of Miami buzz right now, but I still think that that relationship with Cal and the coaching staff and in Kentucky, I think that that is uh, definitely helping Kentucky out here and kind of makes you wonder, is Bob Huggins kind of pointing him in Kentucky's direction? I mean, as close as Bob and Cal are, I mean, for Cal to, you know, take him, I mean, is it something that, you know, maybe is West Virginia? Is Bob is Bob giving advice at all if he ends up at Kentucky and sending him to Cal? Um, but I do think he would be a good fit. He'd be a physical presence that they could put alongside all these other guys. I mean, talk about him and ha- ha- having him and Lance Ware both together uh, as physical presence there in the paint, and then you throw in the athleticism of Damian Collins and Jacob Toppin and all these other pieces, it it would be a – I think it would be a very solid fit, and I think it would be an upgrade to their front court right now just having Olivier Saar and all these guys go up against that body and practice every single day.
1: I completely agree with you. Um, Like we talked about earlier, I think the big selling point for me with Schwebway would just be having him here, like the kid's ready to enroll. It sounds like wherever he goes – just having that extra practice time to get acclimated in the system, I think, would I mean for whoever he gets them. I think that's gonna be a big selling point. Let's uh you see any more basketball, Sean? Are we ready to move to football?
0: We have the checkerboard question.
1: <laughs> yeah, John Robrick's hair. checking in.
0: Is the uh, Is the conspiracy (laughs) theory true that this bad start to the season was masterminded solely to distract the fan base from sticker checkerboard complaints? So the sticker complaints would be the two logo stickers on the floor at which they do look bad. I'll give them that. They they look very bad. Derek, I don't think, too, that until those stickers were put down, I don't think we realized that the the previous logos that were there weren't in the same location. They were kind of in different spots, too. So it, it definitely doesn't look pleasing to the eye. Um uh, it's magnified now with the blue around it. But I'm going to say no conspiracy theory there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just can't bring myself to care about these things, honestly. Like, I know the checkerboard deal is a – I mean, you get a pretty vocal part of the fan base. So. They hate it. Not like yeah, yeah. the checkerboard stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't spend much time thinking about. I mean, it. I
0: mean, I do think that Kentucky needs to go away from the style of uniform that they have right now. It seems
1: like they've been on the same kind of style for a while, right? Like, they, like have. When they have fresh new uniforms.
0: The year that I remember them having something different was Murray's year. The tops were different. The shorts were different. That next year with Briscoe and Fox and Monk and and Bam and all them, that was when the checkerboard all the way up the top and the bottom where it just became and it's been this nothing has changed about that jersey other than the tag on the back on the neck it's got it's gold for the gold standard that's the only thing that has changed about that jersey since that season so it kind of feels outdated honestly i mean i i think that they're surely by next year i think they're in line for a new look Derek. now will the checkerboard still be on there I, i guarantee it because that's that's not going away. It's on the football jerseys. It's on baseball. It's on softball. It's on women's basketball. That that's going to be a staple there. But maybe just maybe fans will get what they want and have it somewhere else. The I think it looks really good on the women's jersey. It's not it's not just str- like the first thing that you look at when you look at the women's jerseys. I think it's uh I think it's designed better on theirs.
1: I mean, for that matter. And I agree with you. I think the women's jerseys do look better. I mean, football, it seemed like when Stoops got to Kentucky in football, they were rolling out a different look like every year. And now, man, when's the last time they had a new football look? It seems like it's been the same now for a few thing, years. They're probably getting close too.
0: The only thing that's changed for the football look that's kind of spiced it up was when they went with the Watt logo on the chrome helmets. That's the only change because they used to just wear the ones with the blue UK And now they've went to the, a couple years ago, they decided to rock the Watt UK on those helmets. That's the only change I've even remembered from the football side when it comes to uh, the jersey and pants and helmet combo.
1: Well, I'm ready to see some new uniforms, I think. Some new combos. It
0: Um, it feels like we're to that point where football and basketball is going to have to get a new look, right? Basketball, for sure, has to get a new look. At least football has some variety to it. You know, they can wear uh, the anthracite. The top and bottom, they got the blue. The footballs definitely got the better swag when it comes to combinations <laughs> and jerseys. I I still like those, but basketball has to get something new. Remember when Nike was doing that thing early in Cal's time at Kentucky, where they would give out like special jerseys. Were like
1: a silver the, grayish uniform one year. If yeah, they
0: special. wore them. They wore them against Tennessee at Rupp, and then yeah. I remember the year that Kentucky started out thirty eight 0 they gave them those new. Top's like the thin shoulder uh, piece that go that went over top of it, and I I thought that those were very clean. The the lettering was actually white with the blue around it. I thought those looked really good. Like I think Al,
1: it he makes me like, mad at Nike, but, or what happened? Why did they stop getting all this new stuff?
0: I think that's actually the word is that there was a fallout there. So uh, something happened. You don't just continue. You don't you don't go from getting all that cool stuff to not that's, getting. anything.
1: That's not me hinting at something I really didn't know. I was just uh, – I mean, maybe something happened. I actually
0: that – that, I know that's actually been thrown out there quite a bit, that there was something. But supposedly some things are kind of repaired there, Derek. I won't go into detail on anything.
1: <laughs> Moving on. Next question comes from David.
0: David says, Sean and Derek,
1: with Terry and Nick leaving – talking about football here, Terry Wilson and Galzo. the Stoops ride with three QBs for next season – or do they go into the portal and hopefully pick up another QB? If so, what names in the portal do you think they go after?
0: I'll let you take this because you actually mentioned might have been yesterday's episode that you think that they will add a quarterback and that well they will at least look at options in the portal, Derek.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any doubt they're going to have to take another quarterback. I mean, you don't want to go into season with. If Joey Gatewood sticks around, okay, let's just from here on out until something changes, let's just operate whenever I'm talking about the quarterbacks that we're under the assumption that Bo Allen's going to be the quarterback. So (laughs) if you – if Joey Gatewood wants to leave to go somewhere else, I mean he's still got like three years of eligibility left. If he feels like he can go somewhere else and play quarterback, then you're in a spot where Kaya Sharon or Sharon, however you say his last name, from Somerset, A true freshman who, I mean, I'll be polite here, like didn't have a ton of offers prior to committing to Kentucky. Like, was not really a highly sought-after guy. I just don't think you want to be in the position where that kid's one snap away from playing. No. Yeah, what hangs around, it's not as big of a deal. I mean, at least Joey's played a little bit. He's got a uh, recruit pedigree of at least a high-ranking guy, and has has played at Auburn. has, Has started a game at Kentucky. Like, I think you'd feel okay. Uh, with that. But even if Joey does remain, shoot, even if Joey, if it doesn't matter, if Joey, let's just say Joey wins the job. Like, if you got Joey and Bo there, I still think you want one more guy, regardless. Well, as far as names, I've got no idea. I mean, I don't either. I, I think there's a certain like prototype you have to look for. Because think of it this way: like, you basically got to go find another Sawyer Smith type, someone who is cool with getting a degree. Because if Bo Allen wins the job. You're only going to play in your career at UK if he gets hurt. You're just in an emergency situation. So that's why I think it's kind of a tough spot because it really limits, I think, the caliber of player you can get. Um, it does. But you do have to have a warm body, I think, at least. You've got to have somebody who's well, capable of stepping in.
0: I mean, you got so you got a ton of scenarios that could play out. Let's say that the season starts next year and Bo's the quarterback and Game 3 Joey decides to leave. Yeah. Like, that's a real thing now, Derek. <laughs> it's where guys right. can just leave at any point. Uh, well, then you're, Joey did
1: at Auburn. I think he left it after like six games yeah. and came to Kentucky
0: after well, the you're, year. So. You're left shorthanded. But I will, I'm will. i going to agree with you 100% on this, and I'm going to say it too. Bo Allen will be the starting quarterback at Kentucky next season. If Joey Gatewood wins that job, it tells me that Joey Gatewood has went out there and he's he's elite. Because, yeah, because that, I mean, that, no doubt, yeah. Like that's how convinced I am that Bo Allen's going to be the quarterback, and I think that that's you're kind of seeing some things develop around the program now that all point to that being the guy that's spinning the football back there.
1: You're talking about some developments around the program. Uh, I got a question from Nick
0: that says, <laughs> "I was going to let you take
1: this one." <laughs> so, is wandell Robinson transferring? Ah, uh,
0: go ahead, Derek. <laughs> you take it.
1: The silence should tell you something. Can I can I answer that way? Yeah, I, I would tell Kentucky fans to pay attention to some things happening early next week. That's my answer.
0: And not the weather, right? Not just the weather.
1: <laughs> I'll say, speaking about Bo, let's say this. Let's say it this way you will see some Kentucky connections, I think, in the passing game next year.
0: Yep. And I'll also tell you this too, Derek. Let's
1: say this. We might have a we might have an episode plan, a specific episode plan next week at some point. Yep. <laughs> that's, about what, that's what we're gonna say, Nick. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, Nick. <laughs> Nick with a good question though. Uh, Go Derek ahead, I'll say this before we move on to the next question. Bo Allen if this thing works out for Kentucky football, Derek, there's a couple of spots, or there's one spot for sure, where the elite playmaker in recruiting has been missing, and it's been wide receiver. They've, they've not really been able to go get like those elite of the elites. With a quarterback like Bo Allen and what we've kind of expect him to be and what the staff has recruited him and kind of placing a lot of program expectations on whether or not this pans out, This is a guy that if he has success that you can go and you can sell this to elite wide receivers who have the big-time schools on their list. If you have a quarterback that can throw the football and you have an offense that's fun, and just from the little things that we're hearing and we know about Liam Cohen, there's some swag coming to the Kentucky offense and some confidence that I really like this move the longer it's playing out now. A couple of weeks Three weeks into him being at Kentucky, I think that this—I honestly have a really good feeling, Derek—that this is going to work out in Kentucky's favor.
1: I think so. I mean, I'll say more. I'll say more later. Um, <laughs> there's still be plenty to talk about when the time comes. But, uh, Sean, I think that was our last question. Unless I'm missing one.
0: I have a couple in. Okay. Um, DMs. I just want to let me go through and make sure I didn't miss anything as I'm scrolling here. I think that covers.
1: We did did miss one. We did miss one. It's from Jordan McCoy.
0: Why does UK football
1: feel more enjoyable than basketball? And then, what UK player would you consider as a head coach that would never be hired? Not exactly sure the second part.
0: I'm going to say for the first part, expectations. Is why it feels more enjoyable than basketball. Um, One loss in basketball, Derek, and this fan base feels like it's the end of the world because that's kind of the the expectations that you set for a program. You know, I, I coach middle school basketball and I was telling my kids today, you know, the place that I coach at, they win district championships all the time. And I said, how do you change expectations? And they looked at me, you know, I mean, they're 13, 14-year-old, and they're like, I have no idea, Coach, what are you talking about? And I said, you go win a sectional championship, and then no longer is winning district championships your expectation. Then you're expected to win the sectional. You go win a state, then you're expected to win state. At a place like Kentucky football, who right now, getting to the SEC championship would be the greatest accomplishment they've had, just getting to the title game, winning the East. I think that's why it's more fun is because everything that kind of happens with this program, it's new. Uh, Where with U.K. basketball, that's the struggle of being good, and that's that's what comes with being great is anything short of that. And that's the beauty of it, though. Anything short of that is disappointing.
1: Yeah, I think the example I would use of basketball, and I think I've said this before. But In 2013, when I was a student at Kentucky, and I was also a student in 2014-15. Um, I wasn't a media then. So just purely as a student, I can tell you the most fun I probably ever had watching Kentucky basketball and being with friends watching games was during that tournament run when they were in eighth seed in 2013 when they weren't favored in almost any of those games. When, when Kentucky was the underdog in basketball, I think it was fun because you just really weren't used to that. And those guys were, I mean, for them, they were overachieving. And whether other people might not feel this way, I felt like 2015 eventually got to a point where it wasn't really fun anymore. It was just
0: – like you know, I don't know how it was way. for
1: the kids, but, like, you would just kind of – when you're chasing perfection like that, and it got to a point where, like, that season should have never been deemed as i – I'm not only saying people say it's a failure, but, like, they tied an NCAA record and won 38 games in a row, won 38 games for a season. Like, it was phenomenal what they accomplished. But, like, the Notre Dame game was, like, more of a relief than a joy.
0: It was. Whereas maybe the year before,
1: it was more like beating Wichita State was a joy. Beating Louisville in the Sweet 16 for fans was a joy. Michigan, Wisconsin, all those things. Uh, whereas the next season, it, it wasn't as – I don't think I'm beating West Virginia by 40 or whatever after they had talked a lot of smack. Like, I know people love that. But – so what I'm trying to say is in football, like, you always probably go into a game against Georgia or Florida knowing you're going to be a little bit outmanned on paper. But times that Kentucky can rise up and win those games, I think people really get excited. But um, and I'll say this too. I'll say, I think when the football program had guys like Benny and Josh Allen there, who fans had seen kind of grow up at Kentucky and really evolve as players, like you don't get that in basketball now mm-hmm. with Cal. So I think that kind of supplemented the feelings that people maybe used to have in college basketball where they could watch uh, Jeff Shepard grow for four years. They could watch Tony Delk, Walter McCarty, all those guys stay around all those years, uh, Wayne Turner, anybody you want to name from those great teams. Yeah. And I still think there's a, an affection in the fan base for for guys like John Wall and certainly Anthony Davis, Malik Monk, Aaron Fox. But not to be truthful, like I don't think fans adore those players, maybe Anthony Davis, as much as they do like a Benny Snell or Josh Allen. That's well, my opinion. I be I'm
0: to say this too. Like, let's just say, when Cal's time at Kentucky's over, do any of these guys come back?
1: I've thought about that. Like, I, I, I don't I don't really see it, honestly. I mean, maybe some, like, I think the title team certainly will because it's different because yeah. they won and they're, they're always going to be remembered. But, like, I'll just throw that, out some random people. Like, is Andrew Harrison and Aaron Harrison like going to come hang around Kentucky? Like, I've not seen them back here since.
0: Well, that's <laughs> since they left too. So. If if Cal kind of leaves this program, and and I think this is possible for sure. If he does retire at Kentucky and doesn't take another job anywhere else, Cal staying in Lexington as like an ambassador for the program, I think would kind of keep it all together. But whoever that next coach is, do you really want John Calipari still? kind of hovering around and involved with the program. I think it depends on who you go get. Uh, But, which leads us into the bottom half of that question, and I'm just going to go and take that from the basketball side of things, Mm -hmm. of what UK player would you consider as a head coach that would never be hired. I, I don't really know about the never be hired part. Um I did throw a name out to you a couple of weeks ago who, let's say Cal's at Kentucky five to six more years and this person has some success. I threw out Mark Pope's name to you a few weeks ago. Like if Kentucky got into a situation where there's a former alum that's just a hot name on the coaching front, that it would make a ton of sense and you could kind of rally behind. Because I think it's going to be very important that whoever replaces Calipari, if if you're not able to pull like a Mark Few, or a Jay Wright or someone along those lines who is in the elite level of coaching. It's going to be very vital, Derek, that they get someone who understands the program, understands and relates to the fans, and could have that welcoming culture of past players. And what better fit would it be if you could bring back a former player, a guy who won a national championship, with all those guys that would welcome and you know be a part of the program, like Tony Delk and those names. Uh, it's it's going to be something interesting to follow whenever that time does come. But that was just a name that I threw out. I, so I took the question a little differently because I didn't really know a former player who wouldn't be hired. I'm trying to think. You got Steve Massiello who's coaching. I'm trying to think of some other names. You know, Walter McCarty obviously was there until everything unfolded there at Evansville. Um, Travis Ford's coaching. I don't know. Like and we have
1: some other guys like Pelfrey's at small a small school. I think got Pelfrey. fired, right? Like, I think he was somewhere, and he got Yeah, fired. Pelfrey's
0: at Tennessee Tech now. Um, I would have said Pelfrey at one point when he had a Power 5 job. I just think that, I mean, Kentucky, I don't think Kentucky's going to target a former player when it comes down to it, but let's just say that Pope does have a string of success there uh, at BYU now, and he ends up, that program ends up taking off, and, Getting to Final Fours and making deep runs in the NCAA tournament—it's one of those things that's in the short-term memory type thing, Derek. Where if it happens and it's fresh, you have a ton of momentum around your name. That's where the next great big-time jobs go, or the, those coaches that fill those positions, like at a Texas or somewhere uh, like those schools. I just think that that's kind of the track, the record that you kind of see with the trail that's left there. So that'll be something to watch. Is who are the hot names five years from now? Uh, will Kentucky go with a young guy to replace Cal, or will they go with somebody that's kind of proven and won national championships? Cal hadn't won a national championship when they hired him. Billy Gillespie hadn't hired a national champ- or won a national championship. Tubby Smith hadn't won a national championship. Rick Pitino hadn't. Uh, so going out and getting a national championship coach it's very hard. I just don't. Nobody makes that move really in college basketball
1: not a UK guy, but you're talking about projecting out five years or whatever. Like what what about the kind (laughs) of timeline of shock of smart was like, Long time considered, like, a possible guy if you're just rumor names. And then he went from, like, almost getting fired to now he's probably, like, back on the list <laughs> with the way Texas is playing.
0: He, he is uh, back on the list. Oh, I he's still probably
1: a really young guy, too. I wonder how old he is. Let me look that up. I bet he's not even like
0: he, You know, I told you this a few weeks ago when I was watching his team play. 23, yeah. And they're going to come into Rupp Arena here in about three weeks. Uh, could be a top 10 team when they come to Rupp Arena and that's a, that's a guy who it's working out for now. It looked like he was going to lose his job not too long ago. Um, be interesting name. I think that five years from now, Shaka Smart has had Texas a consistent top 10, top 14, top 15 program. His name would be on the list just because he's young and he's had success at Texas, uh, Nate Oats at Alabama is just another game, another guy that I'm just gonna I'm circling that name because that guy is gonna have an elite level college basketball job in the next five years. I don't know where it will be. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of jobs I think opening at the same time, Derek. I think that we can kind of kind of circle North Carolina uh, in there with Duke. At some point, these guys are gonna have to retire. Tom Izzo at Michigan State been around a long time. Jim Beheim at Syracuse been around a long time somebody – there's gonna, there's definitely an end of an era coming pretty soon to college basketball where these coaches who have been staples in the game for 40 years, we're getting to that point uh, now yeah, guys like where that. they're going to have to be replaced at some point and those careers are going to come to a close. Nate Oates is going to be one of those guys, Derek, who's going to have an elite-level job. Kentucky fans are going to get to see him next Tuesday night when he brings his Alabama team into Rupp Arena.
1: All good names, and who knows how it's going to play out. Uh, it'll be, it'll be very interesting. I'll put it'll it that be. way. Whenever the time comes,
0: for we certainly it. rolled off the the path here, didn't we? Because uh, we still have two mailbag questions. I forgot I had them in DMs. <laughs>
1: DM, so oh yeah,
0: let's go <laughs> ahead and get to those. This one comes from Lucas Witt, uh, one of the biggest Kentucky fans I know, Derek. Uh, Lucas, he's always at the women's basketball games, at the men's basketball games. Uh, for mailbag Friday, will Kentucky be ranked in the top 25 at the end of the year for men's basketball? And also, will Kentucky football be ranked in the preseason? Keep up the good work. Uh, thanks for the question, Lucas. Uh, I'll take the basketball side, Derek, and you can take the football side. I'm going to say that this Kentucky team will find a way to fight their way back into the top 25 by the end of the year.
1: I think it's optimistic, but uh It's a good time to be optimistic, though.
0: Well, I think they're going to have some wins here this month, and I think that the the end-of-the-month game against Texas is the one that you're circling that could really change the outlook on everything. Is Kentucky Kentucky in the NCAA tournament hunt by the time the 1st of February rolls around? Will be my question. If they are, they're a top 25 team.
1: Yeah, how many... But how many more games is that, though? Like, are they, like, let's say they even go on a winning streak. Like, are they a top 25 team if they're, like, 8-6? and six? That doesn't really feel like a top 25 team to me.
0: No, but I think it's one of those things that you have to look at recent play. And in, in the voters' eyes, when it comes to polls, you're going off of recent success. I mean, if you drop a team nine spots for a loss, how much do they climb for a big win? So... I kind of look at it along those lines that the longer the season goes on, if Kentucky can go on a streak here, and let's say they – I actually think that they beat Florida tomorrow. I'm picking Kentucky to win. And then they have a huge matchup at home versus Alabama on Tuesday night. If they find a way to win the next two, Derek, they got a four-game winning streak with uh, two of those wins coming on the road and then a win against Alabama, and they're leading the SEC if they do that. Uh kind of changes the thought process, I think, in a lot of people's eyes. And then if you finish the month, let's say you lose at least one game. Uh, let's just say they lose one game in January, but then they find a way to beat Texas. That's a team that's in the top 25, I think, when February rolls around.
1: We'll say best-case scenario, I'm looking at the schedule now and Ken Palm. If they win the next six, they play six more games before they play Texas. Theoretically, if they win the next six, they would have wins. Oh, they would have two wins over the number 25 team in Alabama, one win over Florida at 23, and then a win over LSU at 33. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see maybe. Like I, I think at that point, Sean, if they do that, then like you're definitely talking about them being a tournament team at least, which is a step up from where they are right now, I would say. However, with what we've seen from this team, the likelihood that they roll off six straight wins right here, to have an eight-game winning streak. Like, I don't see it happening. There's- but even four and two or whatever will be close. But as far as football is concerned, and I said this um, back a few days ago, I can't I can't remember exactly why it was brought up, but uh, I, I don't see Kentucky being on the preseason top 25 for football. If they can add a couple pieces, like I think they will, I think they'll have a, a, a team next year that can get back to – well, I'll say this. There, there are, there are going to be some question marks next year until we kind of know how Liam's offense – William Cohen's offense is implemented and how Bo Allen looks like there, there are question marks, real question marks that will need to be answered before we go crazy with predictions. But like I'm to the point now for Kentucky football where it shouldn't be surprising if you pick eight and four for a year with, I think that the, the possibilities. So I would say, well, one, I want to see the schedule fully implemented, but we know the teams that are going to be on there next year. Like I think they have a pretty good chance to eventually crack the top 25 next year. But, no, I don't think they'll start the season in the top 25. Because think about the way the voters view Kentucky anyway, and I, I said this, like, if a team like this year had all these guys coming back, some actually, like, recognizable names on a national scale, and they still weren't in the first original preseason top 25, I think they were, like, 33rd. Yeah. They're, this team with a, with a new quarterback and a couple new, of new offensive linemen, yeah. a new offensive system, like – just the the people who vote in this are not gonna pick Kentucky to be in the top twenty five.
0: No, they're not. Um back to the basketball side. I'm gonna say the next six games, Derek, they go I think they have a chance to go five and one. Uh I would lean more towards four and two being the most likely result, but I think that they'll have a chance to go five and one. I I think they'll lose one of the two against Alabama.
1: It'd be that'd be a big deal. I mean
0: Paul we'll how... projects
1: them to go three and three in that stretch, so
0: yeah, well, I would we'll have them six plays out. Ken Palm has them losing tomorrow, too, though, don't they?
1: Ken Palm has them losing by six tomorrow, and then losing at home to Alabama by one, yeah. So, So, I mean, Ken Palm predict, predicts a final of 11-14, which obviously would not qualify them for the – unless they won the SEC tournament.
0: No. Yeah, it'd be a – Also, what's not on here, though,
1: is the South Carolina makeup that happens. So, South Carolina just had a big win, though, over Texas A&M. They were getting some revenge for their football team getting crushed. <laughs> I think they won by like 24 over A&M. So I know from talking to a buddy who covers South Carolina that they expected South Carolina to push to be a tournament team this year. So that will not be an easy game. For I mean, uh, well, pretty much never is anyway, even in the, like, Kentucky lost them last year on the road.
0: So. There won't be easy games this year at all, like uh, regardless of who. I mean, we saw that. They played Vanderbilt, and it took a, a three in the final minute.
1: Yeah, I mean on Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, or sorry on on Ken Palm, Vanderbilt is by far the worst team in the SEC. Yeah, at one thirty six, <laughs> and I'm also paid.
0: holding out. I think in the six game winning streak or the six game stretch coming up that it's, Kentucky will be full strength at some point.
1: That's true. That's a good point. Yeah,
0: at a certain point we won't view this team the
1: same as we do right now in terms of like by that LSU game probably two weeks from now if, if Clark's or three weeks from now maybe, or no, it's 15 days from now, two weeks from that Saturday, two weeks from tomorrow. Yeah, like I think by that point we'll at least see a few games with Clark and Brooks, and he can start to form. Like February to me is where Kentucky will be true, full strength of what they will be for the rest of the year, and that's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. Yeah. So one last point before we wrap up here, because this is starting to go on a little bit and we want to get to the close, but.
0: We do have one more question too. <laughs>
1: All right, well, I'll make this quick. You need to answer it real quick. Like, if they look so much better with Clark and, and Brooks, how does the committee take that into effect?
0: It, it how has how to. do they view it? It has to. You have yeah. to. View it. Remember remember when Zahn missed those games down the stretch for Duke? That it year. didn't
1: count, right? <laughs> yeah, it didn't
0: count. So maybe all this, uh, all these losses didn't yeah. count because Brooks didn't play. That's what Dude, <laughs> You
1: just know that's going to be Cal's go-to if they look so much better. You know, I just know it.
0: So, final question's a big one, Derek. It's uh, from back to Final Four. Shows up in the He shows up in the mailbag often. Uh, love the show. You guys are an integral part of my day. Thank you guys for your work. We appreciate that. Uh, project UK's t- 2021 football starting lineup, offense and defense. Ooh. Also, right. any, <laughs> any potential February freshman signees or football transfers. Thanks as always, Derek. That's uh, that's hard.
1: Yeah, because we I, obviously
0: I can... are waiting on some more news before before we can really go out and say you know who's going to start at certain spots.
1: Yes. Um, so to answer the question on February signees and transfers, yes, I think there'll be a few more transfers. Um, I don't know how to do this a full day. I'll just name off some spots. Like, <laughs> offensively, I think Bo Allen will start at quarterback. I think Rodriguez will be the lead back. I think Josh Ali, player to be named later, will be a <laughs> starting wide receiver. Uh, and then I think Alan Daly will probably have the best chance at X to do that. But I think Isaiah Cummings will, will push him there. Um, and then you're going to throw in another receiver, like do what?
0: Up Shaw and Rig there at the tight ends.
1: A tight end, yeah. And then, so from left to right on the line, I think it'll be Kennard at left tackle. Uh, Kenneth Horsey, left guard, Quentin Wilson, center, Luke Fortner, right guard. And then I think uh, it'll be Nasir Watkins or Jeremy Flax, I think, with a dark horse candidate, in my opinion, to be DeAndre Buford. Something about him, I think he's going to fit this new system really well. But he might still be another year away from big playing time. So do you agree with those on offense? Anybody you think would be in there?
0: I agree with those. I agree with that for sure. So
1: defensively, I'm going to break it a little. I wouldn't say it's breaking news. I'll just say if you, if you stayed and listened to the podcast this long, you might hear something you've not really heard too many other places. But I've heard Phil Hoskins is considering a seventh year. Ooh. Like it's not been written off yet. That's what I'll say. So I think there's a chance he'll come back. I've heard that multiple places, to be frank. Um, so I think let's just include him for fun. I'll say Pascal at defensive end, Marquan McCall at nose, and then F- Hoskins at D tackle. And then if it, uh JJ Weaver's healthy, he'll be the starting jack, I think, but if not, if he's still recovering from his ACL, it'll be Jordan Wright. Inside linebackers, I will say um I'll say well, certainly DeAndre Square. And with what they have on the roster now, I'll give Jared Casey the edge, but I think he's got some more work to do to really solidify that. And then and then probably Katie McGaniel at strong side linebacker. So then in the second area, the two corners, I would say Carrington Valentine and Cedric Dort. And then Nickelback will probably be either Devontae Robinson. Like Tisdell and Robinson will probably both play. So without getting into the, all the specifics of the safety spots, like the four guys I think you'll see a lot. Five, actually, I'm going to name five. You'll see Robinson, Tisdell, Corker, Asian. And then I think you'll see more of Joel Williams this year as a redshirt freshman.
0: Derek, this has been a fun episode. Now, this yeah, is uh, the mailbag it. is always fun because it's engagement with our listeners. We 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 continue to say thank you to everyone. Yeah, a lot of
1: nice comments we from people too. We appreciate that. It makes me yeah. feel good. People say that they uh, well, they're part of their day. We appreciate it.
0: I love seeing new people pop up in the mailbag, and good seeing Lucas Witt pop in there this week. Uh, we appreciate that, Lucas. We appreciate all of you all. Uh, if for some reason we missed you, please send me a DM, and we'll get to it. If you have questions throughout the weekend or the week, send them in, and then I I take a a screen grab of them or screenshot and check back on Friday morning and try to get them all lined up. Uh, Derek, I know uh, that's something we appreciate. It's my favorite episode of the week. Uh, Also, my favorite place is the Butcher's Pub. I know you all that listen to Kentucky Daily, you should know the Butcher's Pub by now. You know where both those locations are. They're in Pineville, Kentucky, and they're in Williamsburg, Kentucky, and Derek, they're should be expanding into the London, Kentucky area. That's the plan for the, the near future is to get a third location right there off of I-75 in London, not far from your hometown of Corbin, Derrick. So that would be a, a really good location for a lot of uh, BBN to get out to the Butcher's Pub. But I'll continue to update that as that plan becomes more uh, concrete. But right now, the two locations are Pineville, Williamsburg. You can make it out to both of those locations. You can visit the butcherspub.com. Or you can check out both those Facebook pages for more information. Uh, Derek, let's go ahead and make a quick prediction for Kentucky-Florida tomorrow. I've already said that I think that they win at Florida. I'm going to go Kentucky wins it by three. I think it's going to be another close game. And my MVP tomorrow is going to be, I'm not going to say Dante Allen. I'm going to go MVP tomorrow will be Devin Askew.
1: I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm riding high because the last time I gave a prediction for basketball was one point off. <laughs> There's no way I can keep it up. I'll I'll pick... Oh, man. I'll take Kentucky. Ooh. Close game. Close win. And I say the MVP will be... I think Sarge probably due for a quiet game after two good ones. So I'll go with – I'll stay on Dante Allen. Why
0: not? Ooh, it's so hard to pick an MVP because you just – guys have been so hit or miss, haven't they? Yeah, they have been. It's just hard to kind of key in, which is honestly not a bad thing because it's forced guys to step up, different guys, but – I wanted to get cute right there and pick BJ Boston as
1: the. I um, know you
0: did. I, I actually was wondering. You tell. I was like he's going to say it because he's just going to throw it out there. I no. He I, until he shows me, you know, that right. he's ready to emerge, then I'm I'm not going to put any more on him right now. I just think that uh, and like in right. Kentucky fans need to continue to support BJ Boston. There's no place for booing him. Right or booing anyone in any scenario. Like just don't do it. Like it's just it's it doesn't help anything. It's an 18, 19 year old kid. Uh, let them struggle and let them pull their way out of it. And hopefully for BJ's sake and this team's sake that he gets it going. Because I mean I think that they obviously would be stronger, Derek, if he gets his game rolling. But. Uh, We'll be back to recap everything that happens down in Gainesville. Uh, We won't be there. I don't even know if anyone from UK media is actually making that trip to Gainesville. It's the trip I made last year, and it kind of shut the entire world down, so I said I'd probably never go again, because that was right after after that trip, COVID became a thing. So, (laughs) I don't think I'll go back for a while.
1: Bad memories. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Very bad memories. Uh, But... It's been another episode of Kentucky Daily. Thank you all so much for listening. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll be back tomorrow. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.